Well, good morning to you all again, and uh, I invite you now to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, as we will look at verses 18 to 25, but we will be reading eventually from verse 15 as we look into this topic of marriage. Now, society, and the church for that matter, is having a difficult time with marriage. There are many misconceptions. It's been misapplied. It's been attacked. It's been undervalued. What was marriage originally meant to be? What is it? What is your marriage? How do you view your own marriage for those who are married? The world is changing. Definitions are being redefined. And consequently, it's no surprise that marriage also is being redefined. And divorce is very common. And because of that, many have taken a very man-centered, pragmatic approach. And how do we do this thing called marriage? Because the divorce rates are so high in the world and in the church as well, as I did some research And we take these man-centered approaches that God never intended us to take. And often we're left skeptical, maybe discouraged as well, as many young people are not so persuaded about marriage in this day and age, age, thinking that, what is it, simply a piece of paper. Brethren, church, how could we get this right? We have to get this right. Now, we'll look at the how when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, how to be a godly, Christ-centered, spirit-filled wife. How to be a godly, Christ-centered, spirit-filled husband. And we'll look at this model of the church and Jesus Christ. But today, I want to just go back to basics. Today, we look at the who behind marriage and a bit of the why as well. We get to the fundamentals as we look at God's, God's design for marriage. God has a design for marriage, praise God. And we stay tethered to the text. We're more likely to be fulfilled. We're more likely to honor God and be successful in marriage. So turn with me, Will, please, if you're not already there. And if you could... Tone down some of this feedback a little bit, that'd be great. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. We take it from 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Today's text. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs 
and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. There is a principle in the construction industry, and some of you are architects, some of you are carpenters, electricians, and some of you are builders. There's a principle called as per the manufacturer's design. Now, what that means is, whether you're constructing a bridge, a house, whatever you are constructing, it is to be done by the manufacturer's design. There's specifications, there are plans, there are blueprints. And you are to use the materials that are in those plans. You are to use the specific measurements that come with the designer's design and the designer's plan. Now, if you proceed to go about building this building and say to yourself, you know what, these look pretty good, but I may have a better idea. I'm going to use different measurements. I'm going to use different materials. Now, if you do construct the building, let's just say a house for that matter, and you do construct it, what do you think will happen over a period of time? If that building is not built to the designer's specification, that building is going to collapse. And it's kind of like that in a lot of ways with marriage. Marriage is something that is very specific to the designer's design. But man seems to want to do marriage and many other things, not God's way, but man's way. And we need to get this right. We need to be specific to this design. And we get back to basics today. So look at where it came from. Where did marriage come from? Never mind what you think it is, what it was years ago, what it can be. It is the same as our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where do we go to find this out? We go to the designer's manual. We go to the designer's design. There are specifications here. We go to the living word. Yes, the times have changed. I know that. But God's design has not changed. Yes, the times have changed, and they're always changing. God's word has not changed. The times have changed And the eternal, immutable God has not changed as well. But definitions have changed. Is marriage really suitable for this day and age? At least this Genesis account? We go to this ultimate authority, which is the Word of God. It's not arbitrary, it's final. And God has revealed His design for marriage in the Bible. But most specifically, I want to get to The specific first point here, that God's design for marriage is rooted in creation. God's design for marriage is rooted in the Bible. It's rooted in creation. Now, 
God is creator. Amen. Amen. You take a survey today, you might not get too many amens. God is creator. God created the world. Genesis 1.1. God creates the heaven and the earth. Now, we see this in Genesis, and Genesis has been under attack, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's not just in Genesis that you see that God created the heavens and the earth. We see it in Psalm 33.6. It's reaffirmed that God spoke the world into existence. Isaiah 44.24. I am the Lord who made all things and alone stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth by myself. Jeremiah 32.17 restates this truth. Ah, God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. God created the world and all that is in it. New Testament affirms this as well. Colossians 1.16, all things were created through Christ. Hebrews 1.2, Christ created the universe. John 1.3, without Jesus, nothing was created. So the starting point here for everything And consequently here, the marriage, which is rooted in creation. God is creator. So this God who created the heavens and the earth now also created man and woman, the people who would be married. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Now, many will say, you know what? The first 11 chapters of Genesis, I don't really believe that. I think that's that's been a little allegorical and things like that. Well, Jesus believed it. Jesus affirmed this in Mark 10.6. From the beginning of creation, God created male and female. The God who created the galaxies created only male and female. That was his design. Now, we see in chapter 2, as we get to this creation account, verse 7 The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Not Darwinism, but God. God is creator. Now as we make our way into chapter 2, verse 18, I want to just say at this point in time, God made everything good. But as we see in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. In succession, God is creating. He's creating many things. At this point, it's revealed not good. Why is it not good for man to be alone? Well, man is made in the image of his creator. He's made in the image of God. And man is relational. Man was made for companionship. So... We see in verse 18, the latter part, I'll read it again. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a helper suitable for him. So a helper is created for man. A helper to complete man. A helper to complement, to complement man. A helper that is fit for him, as the ESV renders it. Now, helper would essentially mean... Describing one who provides what is lacking in the man. What the man cannot do on his own, 
God provides this helper. Now, unless there's a call to singleness, and there may very well be at this point in your life, maybe there's a call right now, and maybe there will not be a call. There will be marriage in the future for you. And God has something for you in singleness, if He's called you to that. But more often than not, we see that man and woman will fulfill God's plans here on the earth. And we see this in the Word, and you've probably seen that in your life. I've seen that in my life. I'm glad I'm married. You should have seen me 25 years ago. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that in the third message. All right. So we see in verses 19, the God gives man dominion over the earth. So there would be fulfillment with this helper. But now man has dominion. And we see in verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But to Adam, there was not a helper suitable for him. Now, God gives man dominion over the animals. We live in a day and age where many would practice, just in practice, you'd think that man has dominion over God, the way some of the things that we practice. That's just because we're sinful. It's not pointing fingers, that's just the way it is. We usurp a lot of God's decrees. But the man chose here, uh, the man chose a name for each of the creatures. And the man would be given dominion. Now, human beings are a superior species to animals. Why? Made in the image of God. And these other species were not suitable for the man. Because God created man in his image. Now, the image of God, let's just explain that a little bit. How are we created in the image of God? We have a personality. We share some of the communicable attributes with God. We have morality. We have an intellect where animals don't have to that status. We have conscience. We have God's word written upon our heart. So the man and woman would be God's image bearers, and one of the criteria for getting together, that they would multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. So there was not this helper made for him. So what did God do? Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of the ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into woman the rib, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. God fashions woman from man. From man. And God has made a helper for man. But the helper is complementary. The helper completes the man. The helper is distinct from the man. Equal in value. While equal in value, there are distinctions between the man and woman. There are distinctions between the husband and wife. Yet they're equal in value. Now some of the things we're going to see here in Genesis are going to emerge in Ephesians chapter 5. 
So let's get to them in a minute. And one of the things I believe is this thing called complementarianism, which I just said, equal in value, but distinct in roles, distinct in procreation. They're distinct. Men and women are distinct hormonally. They're distinct in chromosomes and things of that nature. But within complementarianism, and some will argue patriarchy, some will argue maybe egalitarianism, but I don't think egalitarianism is correct. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. But within complementarianism, there is something called male biblical headship. It's clear as day. And we see that in Genesis. We see that in Ephesians. We also see that in 1 Corinthians 11.9. Consider what Paul writes here. Speaking of the creation account, remember, God's design for marriage is rooted in creation. For indeed the man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake, 1 Corinthians 11.9. Now they're different and they're distinct. And Adam would make this declaration in verse 23. He said, now, this is now the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. This text highlights the oneness, the unity, and it mirrors the oneness and unity of Christ and the church. Now, the other animals will procreate, but they're not joined together in this one flesh covenantal union ordained by the Creator, God. One flesh covenantal union that mirrors the bride of Christ and the husband, the groom. The ultimate marriage on display is from eternity past. Right now we are reconciled and we will see that fulfillment in the new heavens. And we'll talk about that as well in the messages to come. But the one flesh implications have a sexual connotation to it. That's what it has. Because they're one flesh, they're procreating. But Paul would say something else in 1 Corinthians 6.16 that makes you, I think puts a very interesting light on sex. And he says this, if a husband is joined with a prostitute, he joins himself to that woman, the one flesh. Sexual union is certainly related to this idea. There's other dimensions, and Jesus would speak about the other dimensions as well. Now, Jesus would appeal to this verse in Matthew 19, 4-6. Jesus believed in Genesis. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. He believed that God's design for marriage was rooted in creation. And he says this, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to a wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We see that already. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. That hints to divorce, and it's an implication that this is a covenantal union. We'll talk a little bit about the reasons for divorce going forward in the the days to come. But like all covenants, this speaks about the two shall be 
joined together, one flesh, and they should not be separated. That's a covenant. And like all covenants, covenants are made by God for His glory. What is a covenant? Well, a definition can be a solemn and binding relationship which is meant to last a lifetime. It's meant to last a lifetime, this marriage. It's till death do you part. And the glory is displayed in the husband and wife is faithful to God's design in the church and in Christ. Now, what is marriage by God's design up to this point? How would you answer that? You know, surveys are very popular today. You go to the dentist, they send you a survey. Get an oil change, you get a survey, fill it out. Take a couple of minutes. But a survey on marriage, if you had to answer yes No, maybe, I don't know. I'm just going to go through a couple of questions thus far. Is God's design for marriage revealed in the creation account? Yes, okay. Is marriage to be a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman? Yes, right? No, There's no trick questions here, I promise you. Now, I can go into a couple more here. Is marriage outdated by the Bible standards for today? No, it's not. But the interesting thing about this is most of you here, and most Christians should be affirming all the answers we just affirmed. But these surveys are very popular because they, what they do is they reveal popular opinion in society. That's one of the main reasons people do all these surveys. And many people that you would have a unanimous yes to, just suppose we say God's designed for marriage, you might be the minority in this survey in this day and age. Do you realize that? Now, don't think that the whole country has gone off the deep end and everyone believes a lot of the woke nonsense. That's not the case. But times have changed. Times have changed and marriage has changed. So, how do people view marriage? The secular world will just say, those who are outside of the body. And a lot of this stuff has come into the church as well. Many view marriage as a social construct. And what I mean by that is cultural norms and expectations determine what marriage is and who can marry who, for example. Social norms will dictate what role the spouse will take in marriage. And this hints to egalitarianism. So, I'll discuss that in a little while. We approach a day and age that man has overstepped his boundaries once again when it comes to marriage. Because we get to our second point that God's design for marriage is now attempting to be redesigned by man. Now, there is something called secularism. There is something called humanism. And these views try to get God out of the picture. Because if you can get God out of the picture, then you got no Bible, then you got no creation account, and then marriage can be whatever you want. If you get rid of God, you could have no moral absolutes. And if you get rid of the Bible, the same is true. So for you in the body of Christ, you must understand there needs to be a conviction. 
There needs to be conviction that God has a design for marriage and it's written in the Word of God. It may sound like an oversimplification, but you need to have that commitment. And you have to view God, you have to view God as He decreed this, and you have to view His design for marriage as it is written. And for we who are married, we want to honor God with our marriage. You need the help of the Holy Spirit in marriage. You need the help of God's Word. You need the help of brethren. Talk a little bit about that as well. But first starting point is the conviction. This is marriage by God's design. It's clear. It is revealed. Now, it's no surprise that the Bible has been always under attack. It's no surprise that creation account in Genesis has become, has been under attack. And it's no surprise that the church also has been under attack, more so probably past few years than in years past, at least in the Western world. See, there's many liberal, even liberal theologians will dissuade people from believing the Genesis creation account, saying that the first 11 chapters are allegorical. Oh, creation account is borrowed from Near Eastern myths. These are some of the things that you may hear. But as we spoke about, Jesus affirmed the Genesis account. Many liberal theologians will try to dissuade people from the first 11 chapters, but believe everything else in the Bible. And that we looked at as God is creator, not just in Genesis, it's throughout the Word of God. So in an age where man is hell-bent on redefinition, we have to keep the definition from the designer's manual according to the designer's decree and the designer's specification. Give you an example about redefinitions. Did you know that the word recession has now been defined, redefined, to fit a political narrative? Are, are you aware of that? Once again, George Orwell. The dystopian mentality of 1984 is among us. When it comes to marriage now, it can be whatever you want it to be. It's the world of make-believe, basically. You know, children often make-believe. I made-believe two weeks ago. I dressed up as Spider-Man. <laughs> we had a birthday party for Caleb, and I dressed as Spider-Man. And a lot of the kids thought I was Spider-Man. A few of them were hip to me, though. They knew, they knew, it, was, they knew it was me. But I say all that, why? Because if you believe something, maybe it's true. There are kids now, I'm hearing, I'm hearing accounts of children who believe that there are cats. And you can't tell them they're not a cat. And it's, you know, you say, well, they'll grow out of it. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are not growing out of this disillusion, this make-believe. They're not growing out of it. And it's dangerous when a child believes that there's something else and they get older. You know what's even more dangerous? When adults make believe they're God. That's even more dangerous, and this is what has happened. And any society that does not recognize God as their creator, and any society that does not recognize God's design, is going to have chaos. It's dangerous. 
When you're less and less familiar with your identity, you will forget your identity. And it's clear, God's identity for you and for humanity is in Genesis. He made us to be, and now we have instructions on how to be. And embracing God's design, ladies, men, is great. It's freeing that you find contentment and fulfillment when the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you. And you've embraced God's design for your life and God's will for your life. Now, there's certainly individuality, and we're all a little different. But you've got to start at that reference point where God's design for marriage is based in the Bible and it's based in the creation decree. You know what that means? That means God's design for marriage is not based in culture. It's not based in society. It's not based in popular opinion by surveys. It's not where it's based. So, now we look at all the misconceptions. Because marriage by man's design is not working all that well. Because man thinks he's smarter than God when you really get down to it. Now, they will never say that, people. But there's a foolishness when you usurp the decrees of God. Now, where does these misconceptions come from? Again, we find the cultural problem, we find the sociological problem in the spiritual realm. It's, in, it's a spiritual problem. And all the lies, where are they coming from? Darwinianism. Did they come from the university? Uh, yeah. Did they come from uh, the political heads, the talking points? Yeah. Where do they come from? Did they, did they come from the Enlightenment? Uh, yeah. But you know where they come from? Come from the garden. They come from the garden. That's all this is. It's recapitulation of the garden. It's a manifestation of, did God truly say? And God has spoke when it comes to marriage. They come from the father of unregenerate man, the father of lies, Satan himself. I'll tell you something. Satan has been very strategic, very practical and tactical. He's been very wise in attacking the things he's attacked. For example... There's a domino effect happening. Let me explain. When you attack creation, you attack other things. There's a domino effect. How many of you have ever gone bowling? Right? What's, what's the object in bowling? You want to get a strike. How do you get a strike? When you hit that first pin right, the rest of them fall. If you get creation, the rest fall. If you could attack creation, You'll have this domino effect. Then you could attack marriage. Then you know what else would fall? If it were able to? The family. Then you attack human sexuality. You attack the educational systems. And then you know what you get when you erase God's design for marriage? You get, unfortunately, gender confusion. Now, we're not here to point our fingers and rail our hands. If not for God's grace, if it's not for God's grace, who knows where we'd all be. But truth is truth. And the root cause analysis of what we're seeing is basically the eradication of God and his design. And what happens in Western culture, what's happening now is there's a deprogramming of conscience. Our belief systems are becoming compromised. 
And we are getting sick here, spiritually, as a society. You know, many of you are going to go to college. Some of you are going to college. And what do you think you're going to get in college? You're going to think you're going to get marriage by God's decree? You think you're going to get anything? No. This cancer in this secular world that we're seeing right now is very dangerous. And making our belief system compromised is not good. We are more susceptible to disease. Remember, the cultural is actually rooted in the spiritual as well. We're susceptible to the lies of this world. So what do you do? Do you not go to college? No, you go. But the best immunization for the lies of this world is God's truth. And you, go, and you get many booster shots with God's truth, by the way. So, Going to college, going to the, wherever you're going today, you're going to see satanic strategies. If you took that survey, you may not be the majority. There's a lot of things going on in this day and age. But forget about the world. What about the body of Christ? Many have missed the mark. Not defining marriage as I would, at least for now, as complementarianism, but as egalitarianism. Blurring the distinctions between roles. Let me explain. Egalitarianism, like complementarianism, would both decree that man and woman are equal. Amen. Amen. Equal in status. But there are no distinct gender roles when it comes to egalitarianism. The roles are equally interchangeable in terms of roles and responsibility in the family and in the church. Egalitarians often will just rebuke the whole concept of male headship. Maybe that stuff worked in the 50s, but not today. No, God's word has not changed. The design is still the same. And where they get this from, well, one of the scriptures they most often use will use this. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Amen. But that's speaking about justification by faith. That's speaking about salvation. That's not speaking about gender roles and distinctions being thrown out. That's not the case. Brethren, we heard this morning, stay tethered to the text. Amen. You have the designer's manual here for life, and certainly the designer's manual for marriage. Are we going to build that house without the right numbers, without the right measurements, without the right materials? There's always a temptation to do that. And we don't honor God when we do that. Are we going to opt for the pragmatism of this world? Because maybe it's easier. Maybe we think it's a quicker fix. If you are in Christ today, there is no alternative. We are often surprised when we use the world's ways and we get the results that we get. But just as being given this designer's manual, we were given something else. We were given the helper. We were given the Holy Spirit. And like I told you, you're going to need God's help in life, whether you be single or married. But particularly, we see in Ephesians 5, the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, God gives people the helper to carry out what is needed, His will. 
Just as the man has been given a helper, both man and woman now have the Holy Spirit who is the helper. And Jesus said in John 14, 16, and 17, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you have renounced your old life, if you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, not just you believe in this concept of Jesus Christ, this Judean carpenter with these claims. You believe someone existed named Jesus. No. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, where all things were created through him, you now have the living God living in you. To be all we are called to be, we need the helper. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And in the weeks to come, we'll review these roles and responsibility. Responsibilities that are certainly attained by the filling of the Spirit. Certainly attained by the Word of God. These are supernatural means for us to do marriage. How do we do marriage? We do it supernaturally. We do it God's way. Now, as we conclude with verse 25, the man and, and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. This is the last verse prior to the fall. There's only four chapters in the Bible without sin. The first two and the last two. Now, nakedness here reflects an innocence and a trust. Now, we see the fall of humanity in chapter 3, as we alluded to. The serpent was crafty. And this is now, the, it was the end of the innocence. The fall of humanity. The fall of humanity due to one man's rebellion. And Paul speaks about this in Romans 5.12. Through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. Through rebellion. Transgression of God's law. Fundamentals, back to basics. Did God truly say? Yes, He did. But they rebelled. So what does the rebellion bring? The consequence is eternal death. The disease of sin. Sin is terrible. It's terrible. But there's a remedy for it. And though you still sin, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. And many in our modern culture are opting for an alternative medicine to this disease of sin. And I'm not against alternative medicine, by the way. I'm not so impressed with mainstream medicine anymore. And I know some of you are not as well. But when it comes to this decree, this sin, there's only one medication for it. There's only one solution, that God would provide a Redeemer. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. God's redemption story, the central focus in the whole Bible, the whole designer's manual, the whole Word of God is this Redeemer, is Jesus Christ. 
And after the fall, it would be announced in Genesis 3.15, a foretaste of what was to come. Genesis 3.15, this is Yahweh saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on his heel, or you shall crush him. Now, what is the disease? It's sin. What is the renominy? Christ. What is the message? The gospel. The good news. Paul speaks in his letters about God's gospel. This is not an alternative gospel. This is not a gospel for today. The gospel doesn't change either. The gospel. The power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. All who would believe. Save from what? Save from the wrath of God. Save from yourself. Save from the sin, this disease. Brethren, there's only one remedy. That's the gospel. And that hasn't changed. And maybe you're here today, and you think just maybe you can fix yourself. Maybe you think, I'll do more good than bad. How many times have you done evangelism? Are you going to go to heaven? Yes, because I'm a good person. If you are trusting in that, you're bringing a curse upon yourself. Let me explain. Galatians. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. So if you're trying to do something in light of the gospel, and maybe to cooperate with the gospel, maybe to cooperate with the word of God in Christ, you're under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Have you kept the whole law? Well, I do good. I do way more good. Have you taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you looked at a woman with lust? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? If any of those is yes, you're disqualified. You have a curse. There's only one person, Christ, who bore the curse, who became a curse. So all who do not abide in these things written in the book of the law to perform them are cursed. Now, verse 11, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by faith. Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ alone, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. God's gospel has not changed. God's design for marriage has not changed. God's design for you has not changed. God's word has not changed. And praise God, God has not changed. Let's pray. Father God, we pray today, Lord, that you would empower us afresh, Lord. Empower us, Lord, to be the people we're called to be. Father, you know our struggles. We are but dust. You know, Lord, that we struggle. You know, Lord, our ways. All our ways are known to you. But Father God, you've equipped us, Lord. You have, from eternity past, called us. You have called us right now. We are saved and we will be saved for he who began. 
a good work in us will see to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, with this design of marriage. Help those marriages represented in this room, Lord, as we go forth, as we look at the instruction on the how of marriage. Help us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Illuminate us, Holy Spirit. Not just with information, but transformation, Lord. Do that for us, Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name.